0: Hey, good morning, Plum Creek. Well, I want to welcome everyone here today, and I also want to say Happy Mother's Day to all of our moms. And you know, as a guy, I realize I may not completely understand what it's like to be a mom, but I'm trying to get it. Uh, A few days ago, my wife, Hannah, made this comment on Facebook, and I think it gives me a little insight about motherhood. Uh, Some of you saw what she wrote, but in case you missed it, here's what Hannah said. How many thousands of years old do children have to be before they're willing to put their clothes away without being asked? (laughs) Asking for a friend. (laughs) It's a good question, isn't it? And it's just one example of the many, many challenges that go along with being a mom. So to all of you mothers, I want you to know we appreciate you. We love you. We thank God for you. I hope you have a great day. I hope you get to stop by that candy buffet and the family photo spot after service. Well, we are in week four of our series called Habits. And in this series, we're learning to develop habits that will help us grow closer to God and closer to who He wants us to be. And this morning, we're looking at the habit of worship. And I know as soon as I say the word worship, something immediately comes to your mind it could be that the word worship makes you think of what we do here in this room every Sunday morning. And there are good reasons to think that way. Uh, if you picked up a bulletin this morning, I want you to notice the cover, what it says down on the front. At the bottom of the page there, it says that Plum Creek has worship services. That's every Sunday from at 9 or 10.45 a.m. So, what's the implication there? Well, it sounds like We have set aside this time and this place in order to worship God. And that's absolutely true. That's exactly what we've done. So, is this it? Is is worship what happens in a service like this? Well, to answer that question, we have to step back and ask, what is worship anyway? And I want to give you two definitions of worship this morning. One is kind of general and the other is more specific. And we'll start with the general definition. If you look at the word worship, you can see that it's actually a mashup of two different words, worth and ship, worth ship. So in general, worship is assigning great worth to someone or something, and that definition is is very generic. It's, It's helpful, but it's generic. And for our purposes today, we need to get a little more specific. And here's the definition we're working with this morning. Worship is giving God His rightful place. Worship is giving God His rightful place. And what do we mean by that? What is God's rightful place? Well, Scripture is is very clear. There's no confusion about this. God is number one. He deserves the place of ultimate authority, ultimate power. He deserves all of our love and all of our commitment Psalms repeatedly hit on this theme in places like Psalm 135, verse 5, where it says, I know that the Lord is great, that our Lord is greater than all gods. And when that verse refers to all gods, don't limit that to false gods like the statues people worshipped in ancient times or or that some people in other parts of the world worship today. Um, Other gods, it could include all kinds of things. Like the God of work, or the God of pleasure, the God of money, the God of self. So, let's make sure we understand, when when we give God His rightful place, we are choosing to value Him above everything else and everyone else. He deserves to be number one in our lives and in our hearts. And here's where we need to start talking about worship as a habit. If we're going to make worship a genuine habit in our lives, we've got to examine our hearts. We can get so caught up in the when and the where and the how of worship, but here's the interesting thing. Jesus said those details, the when and the where and the how, those things aren't what's important. A few weeks ago, Dylan was preaching through John chapter 4 in our series called Crucial Conversations. And in that chapter, there is an encounter between Jesus and a Samaritan woman. And at one point in the conversation, this woman asks Jesus about worship. She has a question. She wanted to know where she should worship God because some people were saying she really needed to go all the way back to Jerusalem, to the temple, and worship there. She wanted to know, is, is that really true? Is that really necessary? Well, listen to what Jesus told her. John 4:23. Jesus said, a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and His worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. So, according to Jesus, what is true worship? True worship is not so much about a particular time or a particular place or a particular style. It's about the heart. So, in your heart and in your spirit, are you giving God His rightful place? And and are you speaking and acting based on what's really true about God and what's really true about yourself? If so, you're on the right track. But how can we start doing this as a habit? And what parts of my day can be considered worship? Well, there's an interesting verse over in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. In that chapter, the Apostle Paul writes, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Now let that sink in for a second. Whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Now, there are certain times when we worship God in an overt way, like just a few minutes ago when we were singing and directing our praise to God. That is worship. And when you're alone, when you you pray, when you seek God by reading His Word, that's worship too. In fact, all spiritual disciplines can be categorized as worship. But based on the verse we just read, worship goes beyond those times when uh, we are addressing God by name. It's not just the overt times of worship. It goes beyond that. Apparently, we can eat and drink to the glory of God. So, how does that work? Well, we can do that by giving God His rightful place. If God has something to say about what we eat or drink, and by the way, He does, then giving God His rightful place means we follow His instructions, even if we disagree, even if we don't feel like doing what He says. And of course, this idea, it carries over into all of life, doesn't it? When we go to school, when we go to work, when we're relating with other people, whatever we do, in each situation, we have an opportunity to worship God by giving Him His rightful place. And in the end, it comes down to this. For followers of Jesus, all of life should be an act of worship. Now, that statement is entirely true, but it's also a very broad understanding of worship. And our goal today is to make worship more of a habit. But if we don't narrow our focus a little bit, I'm concerned that we'll struggle to make real progress. It's kind of like if you had a coach and your coach said, okay, here's the goal. Your personal goal is to make it to the Olympics. So now, go do it. Is that what a coach or a trainer would tell you? No. A good coach would break things down and give you specific steps that could become habits. And then those habits could help you make it to the Olympics. So let's do the same thing this morning. Let's narrow our focus. And I specifically want to look at these overt times of worship. And I want us to break this down into three different categories. First, you have what we call corporate worship. This is what happens when God's people come together in a service like this one. And corporate worship of the one true God has taken place for literally thousands of years, going back to the Jewish people in the Old Testament all the way up to today. And in our setting here at Plum Creek, corporate worship usually includes several elements. On any given Sunday, we'll have singing, we'll have prayer, we'll take the Lord's Supper together, we'll we'll give a monetary offering to God, and, and we'll listen to God speak through Scripture and through the sermon. All of these things are designed to help us come together and give God His rightful place, and there is great value in doing that together. There's a second category we need to mention, and that's personal or individual worship. That's what happens between you and God, one-on-one. A lot of our Habit series focuses on these private spiritual disciplines, like getting alone with God to pray or reading Scripture. But there's also a third category, and we could argue that this one is the most important of all. The third category is unseen worship, unseen worship. See, a lot of our worship practices have a visible element to them. Uh, When you're singing in the service here, we can see you doing that. Or uh, at home uh, when my wife uh, gets up early and she goes to her favorite little green chair to pray and read the Bible. I can see her doing that. It's visible. Here's the question. When you're doing these visible things, what's happening in the part of you that we can't see? What's the reality taking place in your soul, which is invisible? I really want to spend some time here because most of us are like that Samaritan woman from John chapter 4. We get so caught up in the more visible, superficial aspects of worship. We think a lot about the time and the place and the style of worship. And we can so easily forget that the important thing is what happens in our hearts. We can forget what God is looking for. Jesus said the Father is seeking worshipers who worship in spirit and in truth. So let's take the example of the corporate worship service. When you go to church, how do you know that genuine worship is really happening? Are there some churches that are for real, and others that are just fake? That's a good question to ask, even though it uh, is a little controversial. And to wrestle with that that concept, I want to do something that's a little outside the box. I want to look back at how Christian worship styles have changed throughout history. It's pretty amazing when you look at it. But I don't want to just talk about this. I want us to experience it. So let's start by looking at the way Christians worshipped a thousand years ago. Way back when the church got together in the year 1018, what were their services like? Did they have music? Well, sure they did, but it was very different than what most of us are used to. In their day, many churches did a lot of what is called plain song, and that's a, a simple melody sung in unison, no accompaniment. I want you to hear an example of that kind of music. This song is called Of the Father's Love Begotten. So take a listen. Oh, the fathers of style may not be your cup of tea, and that's okay. It's pretty chill, but I happen to think it's very cool. Um, Over the centuries, though, Christian worship styles changed dramatically. In the 1500s, a guy named Martin Luther came along, and he was a huge leader in this movement to reform Christianity. Martin Luther believed that both Scripture and worship music should be accessible to the common people in the church, and he wrote a powerful hymn called, A Mighty Fortress Is Our God. Now, by this point, churches started using those big old pipe organs, and I asked Amy Brown if she would come and show us what this sounded like. And you don't have to just listen, though. If you're familiar with this hymn, you're welcome to sing along with us. Ready, Amy? Yeah. That's what you would have heard in Germany almost 500 years ago. But as time went by, Christians continued to write new songs for worship. And that was helpful because some of those old songs started to sound a little dated. For example, did you notice that we just called God a bulwark? How many times do we use that word in everyday life? I don't think I've ever prayed, God, thank you for being such a bulwark. (laughs) It's not how I speak. So by the time Christianity gets to America and more years pass, churches start to sing accompanied by piano and organ, and, and the lyrics to these hymns sounded a lot more like the common language of the day. One example would be a song written by Russell Carter in 1886 called Standing on the Promises. Now before we sing this song, I want you to know why it was written. When Russell Carter was a young man around the age of 30, he developed a serious heart condition, and it was unclear if he would even survive, but it was around that time that Russell looked to God and he said, Lord, I put my trust in you. I believe that all of your promises are true, and I'm going to stake my life on this. I'm staking my eternity on this. So this song had a very personal meaning for the man who wrote it, and uh, we're, we're going to sing it here, but... Um, It's called Standing on the Promises, so let's all stand together. If you know it, sing with us. Standing on the promises of Christ my King Through eternal ages let His praises ring Glory in the highest I will shout and sing Standing on the promises of God Remain standing. Uh, For some of us, a song like that brings back a lot of memories. But you know, Christian worship styles continued to change and evolve. In the late 60s and early 70s, there was an explosion of music that became very popular in Christian youth groups and at church camps. And uh, I'm digging a little deep here for this one. Uh, But I wanted to play a song I used to love when I was younger. It's definitely got this 70s kind of hippie vibe to it. It's called Blind Man. If you know it, sing with me. Blind man stood on the road and he cried. Blind man stood on the road and he cried. Blind man stood on the road and he cried. He cried, cried sure. Show me the way, show me the way, show me the way, way to go home. And the song went on, had different verses about different people, like the woman stood by the well and she cried. The last verse was different. The last verse said, Jesus hung on the cross and he cried. And he didn't cry, Show me the way to go home. Here's what he cried. He cried, I, I am the way, I am the way, I am the way, the way to go home, I am the Classic right there. Now, when I was young, a song like Blind Man was considered okay for youth group and for church camp. but A lot of folks didn't think it was appropriate for the Sunday morning worship service. However, as the 80s moved into the 90s, some of those praise choruses started to be incorporated even on Sunday mornings. If you went to church in the 90s, you may have heard a song called Lord, I Lift Your Name on High. For a while, it seemed like this song was everywhere. I'm bringing it back this morning, and not only are you welcome to sing along, when we get to the chorus, you're welcome to do the motions as well, if you remember them. It goes like this. Lord, I lift your name on high, Lord, I love you. I'm so glad you're in my life I'm so glad you came to save us You came from heaven to earth to show the way From the earth to the cross, my death to pain From the cross to the grave From the grave to the sky, Lord, I live I lift your name on high. Great job on that one. Especially this section with the motions. <laughs> Impressive. Now before today, I can't tell you the last time I sang that in a worship service, uh, and it was fun to bring it back. But that's how it goes. Uh, these styles just keep changing. And today we're learning new songs that still point us to Jesus. We'll do just one more here, and it's a more recent one. It's called What a Beautiful Name, and we'll pick it up in the middle of the song. Ready? You can sing with us. Death could not hold. guys can have a seat. Well, thank you for participating in that little history lesson. I know that's kind of a strange thing to do in the middle of a sermon, but I think it makes an important point. And you see the point? We can look back over a thousand years and we can see that the styles of worship in the Christian church have changed radically. I'm sure we all have our own personal preference of the style we like the best, But which one is the right one? At which which point is the church practicing genuine worship? What did Jesus say? He said, the Father seeks worshipers who worship in spirit and in truth. So you can look at any worship gathering of Christians throughout history, and you'll probably find a group who are sincere and genuine. They're worshiping from the heart. They're giving God His rightful place. On the other hand, in the average crowd, you'll also have some people who are just going through the motions. Their lips may be moving, but their hearts aren't in it. They may be singing, but they may have no intention of giving God control of their lives. So back to the style question, which one's the best? Well, as long as the style encourages us to worship from the heart, it's kind of a personal preference, isn't it? I don't know about you, but I have a strong personal connection to every song we just heard. That's why I picked them. Each one brings back a strong memory for me. When I was in college, Of the Father's Love Begotten was a song that our choir performed in concert. And when we did that song, we weren't uh, up on the stage in one big group. We were scattered throughout this old chapel that had great acoustics. And and I just loved the simple melody and powerful words in that song. Now, the hymn, A Mighty Fortress, that reminds me of visiting those old historic churches that you find in a large city. You ever heard a, a big pipe organ in one of those churches? And that kind of worship really conveys the majesty and the greatness of God. The song Standing on the Promises, that takes me right back to my childhood. I remember seeing my dad up in front of our small church leading that song. And and picturing my dad makes it even more powerful because his faith has always inspired me. I also have memories great memories of that song Blind Man. That, that reminds me of my early years in ministry when, when I used to lead junior church every week and, and these elementary kids would sing that song at the top of their lungs. Now with Lord I Lift Your Name on High, I was getting pretty tired of that song by the end of the 90s. <laughs> but you know what? Singing it this week takes me right back to a mission trip in Mexico with, with this group of high school students and they, they sang their hearts out to that song. Even with a recent song like What a Beautiful Name. I think of last year here at Plum Creek when that song was a part of our worship service and the name of Jesus was lit up on the wall at the back of our stage here. See, I have powerful memories of all these songs and many, many others, but what's the most important thing about them? Is it the particular setting or the particular style? No, that's not it. The important thing is what happened when the church came together in unity and we encouraged each other to give God his rightful place. To worship in spirit and in truth. That's why corporate worship is important. So here's what we need to remember today. Genuine worship comes from a place that's deeper than what's visible on the surface. So let's not get caught up in surface details to the neglect of what's happening in our hearts. Let's do what Jesus did. Let's recognize the importance of unseen worship. Because if we don't get it right on that invisible level, then everything we do up on the surface will be nothing more than a show. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus described this concept in a powerful way. Listen to this. Jesus said, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. They're not praying from the heart, they're putting on a show in order to look good. But Jesus said, Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you." Now, is Jesus saying here that it's wrong to pray in public? Of course not. Jesus himself prayed in public. What he's saying is simply this, it starts with the heart. It starts with unseen worship. When your heart is sincere, your prayers will be sincere, your worship will be sincere. If your heart's not right, though, there's no way to compensate with some show. You may just fool people, but you're not going to fool God. So where do we go from here? Well, I want to close by giving three simple steps to take. And we all need to grow in this habit of worship. And we can all do these three things. Here's the first one. Commit yourself to the habit of worship. Just draw a line in the sand and say, I know I need to give God first place in my life. And this commitment is all about following the instructions that Jesus gave in Matthew 6.33, which we read last week. Jesus said, but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. First. So when you seek God, when we seek God as our top priority, that will affect all kinds of decisions we make one thing, you'll make it a habit to participate in corporate worship. As Sunday approaches, you you won't sit back and say, you know, I I really don't feel like going to church this week. I think I'll sit this one out. No, getting together with the church to worship as a body, that's going to be a high priority for you. You'll also make it a habit to participate in personal worship. You're not going to say, all right, I'm going to watch all the TV that I want to watch today and then see if I have any time left over for God at the end of that. No, that that doesn't cut it. Most of all, though, you'll make it a habit to participate in unseen worship. Deep in your soul, you'll give God His rightful place. And that means you're not going to say, Hey, God, I know you told me not to do this thing, but I really want to do it, so I'm sorry, I choose to ignore you right now. No, for worship to become a habit, it, it can't be hit or miss, it can't be whenever we feel like it. But as I'm talking through this, you may be getting a familiar feeling because you've tried to be disciplined in many areas of your life, and, and you know you are weak. I am too. So we may be thinking, hey, I know me. <laughs> if I make this commitment, I'm going to have a hard time sticking to it. But you know what? God already knows that this is a good time to remember that we don't win God's approval by acts of worship or by pursuing spiritual disciplines. We don't earn salvation by good works. We don't keep or maintain our salvation by good works. We can only be saved by the grace that comes through Jesus. And there will never be a day in this life when you and I don't need His grace. At the same time, though, it is possible to develop the habit of worship. That's what God wants. Remember, the Father seeks worshipers who worship in spirit and in truth, and He will give us the power to accomplish this through His Holy Spirit. But right now, if you're struggling to worship God consistently, if you're struggling to give God His rightful place in your life, what do you need? I'll tell you, this is the second step. You need to see God for who He really is. Here's the deal. Nobody here completely understands the greatness of God. Our minds don't have the capacity to grasp His love and His goodness and His grace. But the more we see God for who He really is, the more we'll naturally want to worship Him. The Apostle Paul knew that his friends needed that, so over in Ephesians 3, he wrote out a prayer. He said, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. So what would it mean for you to know in the bottom of your soul that Jesus truly loves you, specifically you, with a greater love than you've ever known? What would it mean for you to grasp the greatness of God? Because the more we're able to see Him, the more we'll just bust out in spontaneous worship. If you're not there yet, you can pray that God would help you, like Paul did for his friends. You can ask others to pray for you, that your eyes will be opened to who God is. I'll give you one last step before we're done here. And, And this is one thing we sometimes forget about worship. Step three is to learn what God is asking of you and then respond because true worship leads to life change. If you come to this service week in and week out, and you have no sense of God challenging you or growing you or changing you, something's wrong. Or if you spend regular time in prayer and Scripture, and the Holy Spirit isn't transforming your life, your heart, your behavior, something's wrong. Because when we give God his rightful place, he's going to reorder our lives. He's going to point out our false gods, whatever they may be, uh, whether it's fear or lust or greed or negativity, whatever. And he's going to teach us to remove that false god and put him back in that number one spot. And you know what? We'll need to undergo that process for the rest of this life. Because we'll always struggle to make all of our lives an act of worship. But one day, this life will be over. And if you have been forgiven and restored because of a life-changing relationship with Jesus, you can look forward to this time when you will move past all of the obstacles that make genuine worship so challenging down here. You can look forward to an eternity in heaven with Jesus. And at that point, the habit of worship, it won't be a challenge at all. It will be the most natural thing in the world. We read about this in 1 Corinthians 13, which says, For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Let's pray. Father, we are so small compared to you. Our capacity to understand and to know you is so limited because we're just human. But I know that your greatness is far beyond what we can know right now. I pray, Lord, that you will give us a glimpse of that. Help us to see you a little more for who you really are because that's what we need. We need to to know that you are a God above all gods. Lord, help us to to really internalize that truth and just respond with spontaneous worship, but also make worship a habit, not just in those overt ways, but in the the decisions that we make every day. Lord, I, I pray that you will help us to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.